Welcome, everyone, as we are back for another season of BAMS Radio. I am your host, Grudy Arman, with my two usual cohorts that do such a great job, William Redfish Barger from 89 to 93, a key member of the Alabama Crimson Tide and 1992 national champion who still keeps his ears close to the ground when it comes to following this Crimson Tide program, and, of course, our producer, and our numbers cruncher and our wizard overall, Thomas Watts, who always does such a great job giving us his analytical takes on Alabama football and, of course, uh, can uh, break down opponents as good as anyone as well. We're not ready, quite ready to do that because the Alabama Crimson Tide are still, yeah, they still got a few weeks of fall camp left before they come go to Atlanta to take on the Miami Hurricanes. In the first meeting since the 1993 beatdown, uh, that William Barger was a part of, and really the Miami program, except for a uh, you know a three-year period from 2000 to 2002, has never been the same since. Uh, you know it's going to be interesting to have that first meeting, a lot of conversation about that. But this Alabama football team is in the midst of preparation, and the two most important you know dates in any fall camp are the two scrimmages, and we had scrimmage number one yesterday this past saturday and we'll have scrimmage number two coming up on august 21st on saturday next week so we're gonna have a lot of conversation there's a lot of buzz coming out of the scrimmage and we're gonna break some of that down probably talk about the expanded sec because since the last time we spoke with you there's been some seismic uh things happening on the landscape of college football with oklahoma and texas slated to join the SEC in the very near future. But uh, it's going to be great to have some conversation with you for about an hour tonight. And I'm going to bring in William Barger. William, hope you've had a good summer, man. So far, it's been a little bit since we last spoke and we wrapped up recruiting. But always great to, you know, have you back on the show. How are you? Doing good, Drew. It's uh, been too hot for me to do much, especially go sit at a damn scrimmage. Um I'm, I'm ready for not only football to get here, but also some fall-like weather. Yeah, it's funny. We're, we had a, we just had some rain here in Huntsville and cooled everything off. But I, I can only imagine what you players used to go through having to practice in this stuff. Uh, I know they tried to manage everything, but, man, and, of course, it's even more so the, the, what they do now uh, with the heat and the hydration uh, for the players. They always they, – they, they make an extra effort to take care of them now. But – yeah, this kind of heat is brutal. And as everyone knows, Tuscaloosa is always about five degrees hotter. So uh, no doubt, uh, you know, that it was a, a scorcher at the scrimmage. Auburn had theirs under the lights, which I thought was very interesting. William, I always is it one of those things where Alabama, the reason they always have theirs in the afternoon is kind of to test everyone's toughness and how they deal with the, with the heat. Or uh, I've always wondered why they didn't try to go under the lights for a scrimmage. I know they always kind of do the – like they did on Friday in their practice before the scrimmage, always wondered why they didn't try to uh, scrimmage at night. Well, I mean, I think to a certain extent, you've got to get the players acclimated to it. Um, right. You know, with a, with a much more, you know, relaxed fall camp, you know, nowadays versus 30 something years ago when I was playing. Um, in fact, I think my, yeah, my freshman year under Curry, uh, we did three a days. Wow. And, uh, now, now the middle practice, this doesn't sound like a whole hell of a lot, but 
the middle practice was right after lunch and it was just a special teams practice but still standing out there whether you were involved in special teams or not for an hour um you know it's 100 plus degrees it still sucks the energy right out of you Mm -hmm. and uh the, the but the hottest game that I ever played in, which won't bring back a lot of good memories for Alabama fans, was the first game of the 1990 season um, when Brett Favre beat us by himself at Legion Field, and I'll never I'll never forget walking up to the strength and conditioning coach LeBaron Carruthers while we were you know warming up, and he had this little thermometer that he would sit there and twirl that gave you an accurate reading of what the actual temperature was you know, on the field at the time. That's back when Legion Field still had artificial turf. It was 133 degrees on that field. Wow. And if you'll wow. also remember, that was the first game where we switched over to the black Nike, um, you know, cleats and, and field uh, turf shoes. And at halftime, a good – I didn't happen to me, but at halftime, a good portion of the team – had to change shoes because the glue in the shoes heated up and their shoes started falling apart. Oh, um, oh so that, that that was that was the hottest one. But just you know, to make a point, you still kind of got to get the players acclimated, even though um, you know there isn't such a thing as three a days anymore. And I don't even think they can have back to back full pad practices anymore. But you know, you still got to get them acclimated. Just you know practicing at this full speed for a couple of hours, you know, gets you in football shape pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a lot different than it was back in my day, Drew. I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, kind of like summer camp for kids now. Um, you know, they've taken a lot of the brutality out of it. And, you know, I can remember being so tired. Um, you know, do you, do you take the 30 minutes to eat something for lunch? Or do you take an hour nap instead of a 30-minute nap? And most of the time, I chose the nap. <laughs> I can see that because, I mean, man, those are, those are some brutal conditions, no doubt about it, 133 degrees. And, yeah, we remember that game. Uh, I remember the punt return being called back with a block in the back with Chris Anderson. He just all kind of things going wrong that day. Uh, for Southern Miss to pull out that that short well, victory. It it wasn't just that day, Drew. It was kind of like watching a train wreck. Right, I mean, that was right. the beginning of the, the 0-3 start. And, yeah. you know, people were calling for Coach Stallings' head. And, um, you know, luckily we ended up beating Tennessee and Auburn that year, and they all kind of left him alone after that. But mm-hmm. it was it was a rough, you know, month of September. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, it was rough, but I will say – in y'all's defense, all the games just about were close. They could have gone either way. And it was just a matter of, you know, continuing to grow as a team. And you guys stayed together. Like you said, made the Tennessee win, uh, the Philip Doyle field goal all the more sweeter, uh, you know, after the Stacey Harrison block. And then, of course, uh, ending the Auburn streak, uh, you know, in 1990. So, yeah, with Junior Sewell's, you know, moment of glory. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's still some sweet memories there. Uh, And then it set the stage for, you know, a really good run uh, from 91 into 92, of course. And, uh, you know, and then into 93 before some injuries kind of derailed that season as well. But, William, uh, I'm going to bring in Thomas now. Thomas, welcome back, brother. Uh, We appreciate what you're doing, as always, the Port City. You know, how have you been this summer? And, uh, you know, I'm sure you're all you're ready to give your take on Alabama football as well. Well, my my attitude with 
<clears throat> Alabama football or just college football in general is once this tropical storm that's farting around in the Gulf gets gone, which should be pretty soon, it's officially football time as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I really – I'm looking forward to it. What I, I'm going to use part of the show to discuss is expectations. I think a lot of the Alabama fan base expects Alabama to roll in and do what they did last year. And I frankly don't see that. I think last year's team is on the short list for best team of all time, like across the sport. And if not for LSU the year before, would be discussed in a much more serious context. But it the argument turns into something like it's the new normal in college football to be that good, which I personally don't believe. Uh, the thing that I would say about, you know, just sort of throw something out there in terms of when Alabama scrimmaged, you look at the Alabama schedule just as a, as a whole coming into the year, and what are the big games going to be? Well, Florida's early, and I'm pretty sure that's already been announced as the CBS game. That's going to be 2.30 in Gainesville, Florida on September the 18th, I believe, if that, if that, num that number jumps out to me. Um, it's going to be an inferno there. Uh, I've been to College Station early in the year when it's still an inferno, and that's brutally hot. That's almost certainly going to be another CBS game. So, you know, sign me up for William's stance of this is what the players are going to be playing in because – it, particularly in high-stakes situations early in the season. So it's better to get them acclimated even if, you know, you're cleaning up some vomit or people are feeling like crap after the game, after the scrimmage. So just overall, I'm looking forward to the season, and Alabama will be favored in every game as it stands. I think they deserve to be favored in every game, and we'll have to see how certain parts of – this football team come together over the next, you know, three or four weeks. Because let me let me spoiler alert real quick. Alabama's gonna beat the doors off Miami in, in a couple weeks. That's that that game screams twenty eight point destruction all day, every day. But, you know, I'll kick it back to you, Drew. Well, you know, I I, I would tend to agree. I haven't made my pick yet. I you know I've been kind of thinking about it. I've been I think I've been mulling it over, you know, probably in around the 42 to 17 range, but I, I'll make my final prediction, uh, you know, later on our show. But, uh, and of course I'll get you, you two guys thoughts as well, but I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, before we really started breaking down Alabama fall camp and what we're hearing from the scrimmage, uh, the, the gargantuan headline from the off season, of course, has been the sec expanding again and Texas and Oklahoma reaching out to the league to, to want to uh, come to the SEC. Looks like that's going to happen. Might be by 2022, uh, but if not, then no later than 23. I don't. I think everybody understands it won't be 2025. Uh, it wasn't in the case of the, uh, in, it, you know, expansion happened much quicker with Arkansas and South Carolina. And then with Missouri and Texas A&M, it won't be a four-year wait, I wouldn't think. But William, uh, I know... Uh, I've always always enjoy your opinions and your takes on things. What was your thoughts with the Oklahoma and Texas coming to the league and potentially to have a pod type schedule, still the division race, but 
have a pod schedule, nine-game SEC schedule, with Nick Saban has been wanting for a while, uh, and then to maybe have Alabama and Auburn in the East. Well, I'm a big fan of the the expansion and the two teams that are coming. I mean, it's it's just a matter of time, um, you know, before you know you have these super conferences, and you know, there's no reason why the the SEC can't lead the way in that direction. Uh, but you know, you're getting to um, you know historically, you know, quote unquote considered blue blood type programs. Um, you know, certainly Texas has kind of been. Um, getting in their own way for almost 10 years now. We'll see if Steve Sarkeesian can turn that around a little bit. You know, he's going to have to find some better players, and he's not off to a very good start in that that manner. But, you know, I mean, Lincoln Riley's had that program, you know, cruising along at a pretty good clip ever since, you know, he took over from Bob Stoops. You know, I certainly think that, uh, uh, you know, they're fixing to find out, you know, just how easy they had it in the Big 12 versus the, you know, the Saturdays that they're going to experience once they are full members of the, of the conference. But I'm a big fan of the move. I think it, uh, you know, just strengthens the SEC brand even further. And, uh, you know, it'd be, be great to, you know, have two, you know, enthusiastic fan bases that are passionate about their programs, um, you know, in the league. Yeah, and then uh, before I bring Thomas in and get his thoughts on it, what would your thoughts be on, I thought it was interesting, you know, if you, of course, if they redid the divisions and then you had the pod schedule where in Alabama's pod every year they would play, of course, Auburn, but then Tennessee and Vanderbilt. And then you would have a, you know, a rotating schedule that they're forward uh, from two teams from each of the other pods. And then instead of having to wait to play somebody, William, maybe every 10 to 14 years, if you're a, you know, if you're a young man who signs to play in the SEC, it would mean you would play every team in the league in a four-year span. I, I like that type of schedule. What are your thoughts on it? No, I, I do too. And, uh, you know, I, I personally think that's where, you know, in Texas's case, yeah, you know, I kind of feel like they felt like they had to make this move, um, you know, out there with the landscaping in the state of Texas with recruiting, you know, they're losing a lot of players that would rather go to Texas A&M or LSU because um, it's in the SEC. And, uh, you know, you've got the, the television, um, you know, markets that the league will be picking up there. Um, you know, it's – I just think, you know, regardless of all the controversy that people want to debate this back and forth, and, you know, it goes back to Thomas's thoughts on, you know, what the fan base's expectations are for this season, um, I just – don't see, you know, a lot of happy endings for the rest of this conference until one Nick Saban finally decides to retire. I mean, I think he's got this thing, you know, cruising the way he wants to cruise it. I think he probably did his best coaching job um, last year with the way he, you know, navigated through the, the COVID stuff. And I think Alabama did have some built-in advantages um, because they had a guy that, you know, while, you know, erred on the side of caution, um, he didn't, you know, hide in his closet and, and live in fear of it either. And, um, you know, I think his team played like that. And, uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, you hear the Ohio State fans, um, you know, talk about how they were without starters in that national championship game. Well, guess what? You know, Alabama had, had, had to play a complete SEC schedule last year. There were no Mercers or Western Carolinas. 
And, you know, I think because of that experience, because, you know, of some injury luck, um, you know, you saw them dismantle both of their opponents in the college football playoff. And that's really, I think, the first time in the Nick Saban era that you've seen his teams not really look beat down or run out of gas, you know, in December and January. And, you know, when you, when you factor in the COVID, you know, all the challenges that it presented and, and just the way Alabama finished last year. Um, and I know he's already given them all the credit that they deserve, but, you know, you got to, you know, tip your hat to Dr. Rea and, and Baloo with the job that they did with these players. I mean, that was a team that looked rested, they looked recovered, and, and were able to play at a high level, um, you know, in the months of December and January for the first time in a while. Yeah, it's very, very true. And, and Thomas, what are your thoughts on the additions to the league? Well, okay, my thoughts are predicated on a couple of assumptions. If the assumption is that Texas, that either, you know, Greg Byrne or Nick Saban or, you know, grab bag, pick your person, will be able to stop Texas from being a bunch of bullies, which is what they are in the Big 12. Let's call a spade a spade. I mean, Texas got everything they wanted and paid functionally nothing. And that's cool, I suppose. But I guess here's the best way for me to put it. If Texas fans are going to come into the SEC upset about horns down, let, let, let me just let's let's disabuse the fa- the Texas fan base of a single notion. You are damned lucky if the worst thing you hear or the worst thing you see going into Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is horns down. Like period, end of story. But once you you know once you get past all of that, it was inevitable. And some fans have asked me or I've been in conversations where, why did this happen? And the quick answer is follow the money. With the college football playoff expansion, which we can talk about that too, but yeah. Um, With the college football playoff expansion, there's going to be a bigger chunk of money to be had by college football institutions. On top of that, the – SEC on CBS contract is going to end in the next couple of years. I don't remember the specific day, the specific year. I apologize. But that is one of the bargains in sports broadcasting the world over. That's going to change. What that means is the SEC will get more money. On top of that, the Big 12 tried to go to Fox to renegotiate their deal. The idea being, because college football is more valuable, therefore our brand is more valuable, therefore we deserve more money. And Fox said, huh, no. So that's the genesis of this move. We're talking about college football at the highest level being simply big business. Whether you agree with it being big business or not does not matter. College football at the highest level is big business, and big business takes deep pockets. Texas has extraordinarily deep pockets right now. That's unequivocal. The problem is if they stayed in the Big 12 and then the Big 12 is shut out, let's say Lincoln Riley takes a step back from the college football playoff or they get knocked out in the first round in this expanded playoff, the distribution would suddenly become so unequal 
everybody compared to the SEC that the endless flow of money that Texas enjoys will no longer be quite so endless because Texas A&M in particular would make more money. So if you want to know why, follow the money. Do I think it's going to be interesting? Absolutely. The, my only concern, this is my only thing, if Texas comes in thinking they're going to be the big bully like they were in the Big 12, I hope they have another thing coming because in the Big 12, they are the, 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 the whale in a kiddie pool. In the SEC, they're a team that's had functionally zero success at the major sport, college sports level for at least 10 years. So, you know, as long as Texas can reset expectations, which frankly I doubt, I think it's a good idea. But this horns down thing, if that's going to be endemic of what Texas is getting into, oh boy, they're in for a rude awakening as they get into the SEC. But we'll see. You know, I think the pod schedule, one last thing, that needed to happen. Uh, it's better for fans if you see every team every five years as opposed to every 10 or 15. It's better for players. It's better for everybody to, to kind of level out the exposure gap such as it is. Because, you know, real fast, how many times since A&M and Missouri have, you, have joined the conference have you seen South Carolina on the 230 CBS game? Maybe once with Georgia, maybe once with Florida, maybe once when Alabama rotated. Other than that, that's a black hole. I don't think Vanderbilt's played a 230 CBS game since Jay Cutler, and so the exposure point is valid too. Overall, Drew, though, I think, I think there's a lot of things to like. I think there are some things that Texas is going to have to give up, and it, frankly, the horse is already out of the barn, so whether anybody likes it or not is immaterial. What really matters is what we do, and when I say we, I mean the SEC, going forward as long as there's some level of understanding amongst the member institutions. Yeah, that's a good take, Thomas, no doubt about it. I mean, I do think they're good additions to the league. I think it makes the SEC by far the strongest football league in the country. And then it enhances women's athletics, really athletics as a whole. You know, the SEC was already uh, the leader in college baseball, and you pick up Texas and OU. Uh, both have won national championships in said sport. And, of course, uh, with women's athletics, you pick up two outstanding softball programs. So, that's really going to make uh, softball a monstrosity, uh, no doubt about it. But now uh, we need to switch gears to the scrimmage. Uh, some interesting buzz coming out. Uh, it seems as though, for the most part, the, the defense was ahead of the offense, but you kind of expect that, especially with the way this football team is being constructed this year with only three starters returning offensively. Uh, but this defense is deep and talented. Uh, you know, I've said this, I've gone on record as saying I thought it'd be the most talented since the 2016 group. And it sounds like they played pretty well yesterday, but we have to have a caveat because there was a starter sitting out of the scrimmage from what we understand, starting center and returnee Chris Owens, who finished the year so strong last year after Landon Dickerson went down. He uh, was held out, as was left tackle and future first round pick Evan Neal. Uh, and then uh, well, from what we understand, and I'll be guilty of this. I have not given this young man enough credit. Uh, I've been thinking about J.C. Latham, thinking about, you know, Damian George had not, uh, you know, brought up his name enough to be competing for a starting spot. But Kendall Randolph, the senior from Bob Jones here in my area, you know, competing for that right tackle spot. 
He went down early. Uh, he could put weight on it. Looks like it's going to be an ankle. So we'll see how long, it, you know, if he misses any considerable time. But if he does, it opens the door for a J.C. Latham, who I think saw a lot of action yesterday with the ones. George saw some, too. But, William, uh, you being a former offensive lineman, uh, that had to have definitely affected the, all, all three of the offenses, really, because ones, twos, and threes play when you hold out people of that caliber. No, absolutely. And, I mean, I think it's, you know, they're, they're early enough and, <clears throat> excuse me, fall camp where, you know, it's not necessarily going to, you know, be a negative. Um, you know, certainly Evan Neal and Chris Owens are proven commodities. Um, and, uh, you know, it gives those young guys more reps, um, which is only going to enhance their development and help them get better. And, uh, you know, uh, to, to go along with what you were talking about, I mean, I agree with you. Um, you know, this, this defense – um, is, is going to be really, really good. Now, whether it's 2016 good remains to be seen, but a lot of talent, a lot of young players, a lot of depth um, at all three levels of that defense. You know, you're going to see eight or nine different defensive linemen. You're going to see multiple linebackers and, and you know, a lot of, um, you know, depth being developed in the back end of the defense and the, the defensive backfield. So, um, you know, when you when you look and, and see that, um, you know, all you got to do is go back and watch the A-Day game and, um, you know, you look at, you know, the numbers that Bryce Young put up in particular, but there wasn't a lot of points scored. Um, you know, and that's, you know, that's what the goal is there. It's, it's you know, doesn't matter really how much yardage you give up. If you keep people out of the end zone, um, you're going to win. But, you know, so far so good, I think, with, with injury luck. Um, you know, I think this is a – you know, a team, there's going to be so many young kids um, that, that are new starters and, you know, guys coming off the bench to play in, in uh, certain situations that, you know, they give these guys a, a chance to develop and, you know, get the feet wet. And it certainly seems like at least through the first week of fall camp, that's that's being, you know, being happening right now. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, and we'll see, you know, kind of how these jobs work. I did want to get your thoughts on how much Chris Owens improved from a year ago, uh, because as we know, he started the year at center, had to be replaced by Landon Dickerson in 2019. Then last year, you know, he played some at right tackle. Evan Neal had COVID, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, missed some time. And so he, he was able to play some right tackle, as we know, uh, and then fill in admirably. He's played left tackle at times. But I thought in the college football playoff after Dickerson went down late in the Florida game, he filled in in that game and then really played at a much higher level uh, in the uh, in uh, in you know the college football playoff against uh, the Irish and the Buckeyes. What do you think was the key for him as you watched it? I mean, you played interior O line uh, at the Capstone, but what's been the key to Owens improving and becoming uh, what was? Thought to be a liability earlier in his career, but now he seems to be a guy you can count on and might even become an NFL player. Well, I, th- I certainly think that's the the genesis for him coming back this year. Is is you know that's the the goal is, is to get a paycheck. Um, but you know I think he's also proven, um, like you touched on, with his versatility. He can play you know all five spots, um, you know at a, at a pretty high level. I mean, he's not going to ever be Evan Neal at left tackle, but he can survive out there um, and, and play winning football. But, you know, I, I just think it's a matter of, of age and maturity. I mean, he's, he's seen a lot of football now. 
Um, you know, he's, he's had a chance to get, you know, experience. Um, I'm sure he's, you know, bigger, faster, and stronger than he was five years ago. But, no, I, I agree with you, Drew. I thought the way he played um, against Notre Dame and Ohio State, you know, really kind of set the stage for, I'm sure, Coach Saban to sit him down and be like, look, if you can put together, you know, a whole year's worth of tape like these last two games, um, your future might be a little bit different than we thought it was going to be on a, from a football standpoint six months ago. So, you know, I think that's the goal now is to, you know, put down a solid season of tape and, um, you know, have a chance to, you know, maybe be a second or a third round draft pick and, and you know, make, make yourself some money. Well, and William, what are your thoughts on a guy like Kendall Randolph? I've always felt like that he, he you know, he's another one like Owens. He's practiced at a lot of different spots. He's, played some different spots. Uh, he, I think he even played some left tackle yesterday with Evan Neal being out. I've always worried a little bit about his pass protection abilities. Uh, he was always a good blocker when he was the movement tight end, uh, when he would come in in heavy packages and then when they wanted to take the air out of the football. Uh, now he's getting a look at really right tackle. He's been with the ones. Uh, it, it, could he potentially be the right tackle or is it going to, a situation in your mind where it's inevitable that the talent of a J.C. Latham will overcome things and 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 win the job, and then uh, and then Randolph goes back to that tight end role. What what is your thoughts on that right now? You know, I, I think it's uh, like you're saying. I think he's keeping J.C. Latham's seat warm for him until he's you know, works through all his, you know, true freshman jitters. I mean, that's a lot to put on a, a kid. I know he comes from a, you know, a phenomenal high school program down at IMG in Florida. But, you know, this is at a different level. And, and you know, J.C. Latham, you know, working against Will Anderson and Chris Allen every day is only going to help him get better. He's, he's not going to see uh, many cats like that on Saturdays lined up for opposing teams. Um, and so I do think it's kind of – because you, you got to kind of wonder – um, you know, in the back of my mind, I mean, I wonder where his, you know, his weight truly is. I wonder what his true strength numbers are. You know, is he, you know, a, a big enough bodied guy um, to, to excel at, at right tackle in the SEC? And I just don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, and unlike you, I, I enjoyed his role last year, um, you know, kind of being that, um, you know, big bodied extra blocker and, you know, if they needed extra pass protection, they kept him in. Um, but I, I just think that, you know, J.C. Latham is just way, way too talented. I mean, you know, this is a kid that when you put on his tape, when he's a 10th grader, it screams, you know, multimillionaire first-round draft pick in, in you know, seven years. Um, and you, you can't change that. The only person that can change that is, is an injury. And, um you know, I just think that Latham is going to be a part of the best five, uh, whether it's against Miami or I think sometime between, you know, next Saturday and October 1st, I'll, I'll be surprised if J.C. Latham isn't your starting right tackle. Well, and before I bring Thomas in to give some thoughts, I also have one more question for you about the O-line. The one thing I was surprised about when we were at live at SEC Media Days with Nick Saban is that – I. He, he kind of let the cat out of the bag. He doesn't do this often, William, as you know, when jobs are being competed for. But this young man missed uh, A-Day and missed some time in the scrimmage before that because he was banged up. He seems to be he had some surgery. I think he's good now. Uh, but he, 
he ba- he basically said JV and Cohen was going to be the left guard. Are you somewhat mildly surprised by that? And uh, and and do you expect to see? He's now number seventy, by the way. Uh, was fifty seven. Do you, do you think that he uh, seventy is going to be among the best five? I'm, I'm really kind of surprised more than anything that he's not working at one of the tackle spots. But you know, yeah. if if he's that good, um, you know, and and if you can play offensive tackle, you can make the slide inside the guard with no trouble. Um, but I, I think it's a good thing. And like you said, I was shocked to hear Saban basically announce that before you know, the pads had even been put on this month. Um, but, I, but I think it's a positive. Um, you know, they are so deep uh, down there on the offensive line right now. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be at least a year. I mean, I still think he feel, he's going to have to get um, – and you can see the progression here. It's not the first time Saban's done this. You know, as soon as Evan Neal, um, you know, gets done and makes off his money, they're going to put J.C. Latham will be your left tackle next spring. Um, it's kind of like the traditional, um, you know, Nick Saban auditioning hour. Um, this has happened with Evan Neal. It happened with Jonah Williams, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, no, I, I mean, I was more surprised to see Cohen not stick at one of the tackles um, versus being in the starting lineup. And and uh, to piggyback off that before Thomas comes on, I'm just intrigued because everybody's talked about Tommy Brockermeyer and being a future tackle and maybe even a left tackle. So uh, if we if you think uh, J.C. Latham is going to you know do the what we've seen shift from uh, right to left, do you think that Tommy Brockermeyer becomes a right tackle, or do you think ultimately his uh, even though I know he's been lauded for his ability outside, he could end up inside himself. I'll say this, if when, when they play Miami, um, if Amari Kite is still the second team left tackle, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, uh, it's time to be a little bit concerned about Tommy Brockemeyer. Um, you know, I, I thought when he was being recruited that, you know, people were, you know, inflating his recruiting ranking based on potential upside down the road. I mean, all you had to do was turn the tape on and, you know, he had some technical issues he needed to get better with, you know, most, you know, extremely long, tall players like that tend to get their bodies overextended and they have lean issues. And he's, you know, certainly, you know, taking him some time to get bigger and stronger in the weight room due to his long frame. And and again, that's a a double-edged sword. Um, You know, you, you, you want that wingspan, but at the same time, it, it, when you're that tall, it makes it difficult to, um, you know, put on weight. But um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he's, you know, broad enough in the lower body to be a traditional Alabama right tackle. I mean, you know, not everybody's going to be Evan Neal. Um, but, you know, typically, um, you know, on most football teams, your right tackle has a little bit different body than the left tackle does. So, um, and, I, and I think that's a, you know, a positive that Amari Kite, you know, is starting to emerge a little bit. You know, certainly he's got more of a, you know, right, I haven't seen him in person in a while, but he certainly got, at least the last time I saw him, more of a right tackle body than a left tackle body. But, you know, it could have been reshaped since the last time I saw him. But, and, and there again, I don't think you ever, you know, give up on a prospect. You know, certainly – 
Um, you know, he's a true freshman. Um, but, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of fans start scratching their head when, you know, he and his brother, who, who everybody kind of forgot about, um, you know, James is on the same, you know, he's, he's a part of the third-team offensive line just like Tommy is. And, you know, that's, that's insane when you've got a five-star, former five-star offensive tackle on your third-team offensive line. I mean, it just goes to show you how deep they are down there. Um, and, and it, it, you know, it's just insane. I mean, the, the depth um, on both sides of the line of scrimmage um, is just off the charts right now. Mm, yeah, it really is. It, it is deep. And, well, Thomas, I wanted to bring you in to give some of your thoughts on the offensive line. Well, the offensive line is going to be one of those things. You know, we talked about it in the spring. Who steps up? There are three jobs up for grabs. And, you know, everybody goes nuts about Bryce Young and the skill position players. And rightfully so. I mean, there are some legit guys that are going to be passing the ball, receiving the ball, running the ball next year. But coming, you know, what it comes down to is you can't throw the ball if you're flat on your back, and you can't run the ball if you're hit two yards behind the line of scrimmage. So we, we heard a lot from the first scrimmage, you know, the, 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 media, the media side of life that said the defense looks really good, but two offensive linemen are held out. Well, Will Anderson's going to be a problem for everybody. So I would grain of salt that. And even as, you know, I'm going to steal a little bit of William Slender here, but he always says during the spring that offensive linemen are not necessarily in game shape. But Bryce Young still had a successful A-Day. So what has changed from then to now? A whole lot of nothing's changed from then to now, except more repetitions for this offense, more time for to get bigger, stronger, faster for the offensive line. And will we see J.C. Latham unseat Kendall Randolph? Maybe. I mean, again, with COVID and kind of shutting down and how Nick Saban doesn't let a lot of media view practices anyway, you're left with message board fodder as to whether he'd make it or not or whether any of the guys on the second team are really going to be first teamers. And – I guess here's my caution, Drew. This is what I would this is what I would say to fans who are, oh my gosh, Alabama's offense isn't going to be able to score 50. One, we don't know that yet. Let, let's see them play against somebody that's not this Alabama defense, which has a legitimate shot to be fantastic. But even more than that, they haven't had a full deck. They're still figuring themselves out, particularly along the offensive line. So. You know, there's there so many things that are still in flux that it's hard to get a good read on the line or really on the offense in general. So I'm kind of, frankly, I'm keeping my powder dry. The, the reason I said earlier I think Alabama's going to smoke Miami is that I, I thought Miami overachieved last year. I know they have a ton of guys coming back this upcoming year, but how many people on their 2D are going to be able to play for Alabama? Like right now, who would you take? maybe one or two of them, whereas I'm sure Miami would take, you know, 10 or 11 of Alabama starting 22. When you come into a game with that big a raw talent advantage, you've got to feel pretty good if you're a fan of the team with that advantage, Drew. Yeah, you do, and I've heard the same things about Will Anderson, you know, being dominant yesterday, and maybe even, you know, they t- taking him out so they could get a little bit more accomplished. But uh, that 
when you're without some offensive line starters as well, that that's to be expected. Sound like Chris Allen had another nice scrimmage as well. Uh, you know, so it's not surprised. I think, you know, they are the best uh, outside linebacker tandem in uh, college football, in my opinion, going into this season. And, you know, you're hearing really good things about how Henry Toa Toa has, uh, you know, is fitting with his team. He was he was with the ones along with Christian Harris. Uh, I don't think there's much drop off at all with Jalen Moody, uh, who's now, you know, uh, won the, the coach's confidence, I believe. It's just probably a diva linebacker core uh, from, you know, uh, from first to third string inside and out, as we've seen at Alabama in a long, long time, and probably of the Nick Saban era, and that's significant. They have a lot of talent there. But the key is going to be, you know, the secondary and how it comes along. They've got some experience back, but they still have to replace the corner opposite Josh Job. And then I heard Job had a, a shoulder injury. Uh, he got something tweaked, and, and they held him out for a majority of the scrimmage. So some other guys got some reps. Uh, and we heard Terry and Arnold got a pick of Bryce Young. Uh, Jock West Robinson, uh, you know, got a pick of Jalen Milrow. So they did force some turnovers, but that secondary should have more experience this year. Uh, but of course, they've got to keep guys healthy. They've got Malachi Moore back healthy. I think I've heard Brian Branch has had, you know, a strong fall camp. So obviously, they've had some guys step it up. But the thing is, when you start hearing about the young guys behind the vets making some plays, that means people are being pushed. And William, I've always thought that was a good sign, uh, you know, and I think for the secondary last year at times, it was the weaker link of the defense because of the inexperience. Uh, but I think they've gained a lot of valuable experience. And if this defense is going to be truly a lead, I think we all like the depth along the defensive line and the linebacker core. But the secondary uh, is going to be the key, in my opinion. It is. And, and you know, the. I haven't given a prediction, and I'm not going to until the week before the game. But the reason that, that Alabama is going to mudhole Miami is, is the, the simplest reason why they mudhole most people. Um, you know, Miami is not going to be able to block Alabama's front seven, and they're not going to, they're a, an aggressive get up the field you know, front seven themselves, and, and they're not going to match up real well because they're small and undersized. I mean, I think Alabama could rush for 400 yards on this unit if they wanted to. Um, and, and, you know, talking about Will Anderson, I saw something over the summer when we were on our hiatus that really struck me. Um, you know, if this was five years ago, hell, if this was two years ago, what you saw out of Will Anderson in 2020, would be the best version of Will Anderson that you would see for the next two years of his career at Alabama. Uh, because that's basically what happened to all of Alabama's great players. They, they showed up. Um, if they were freaks from the get-go getting off the bus, then, yeah, they, they stayed freaks their, the rest of their career. But you never saw anybody get developed in the strength and conditioning program where – they changed their bodies. They, they, and, and I saw um, one of the strength coaches, you know, tweeted out Will Anderson's, you know, improvements in the, the weight room since this time last year. And it was something like a, you know, some crazy number where he was up like 34, 35%. You know, if you take what you saw out of Will Anderson last year as a true freshman, especially 
you know, November, December, and January when he got comfortable. And, and you improve upon that by 38%, I mean, that guy's going to kill somebody. And then, and I mean, I'm just telling you, nobody can block him. It, it, and, and, you know, I don't think Chris, Chris Allen certainly isn't Will Anderson. But, you know, he's not Denzel Duvall either. I mean, that guy has done a phenomenal job of reshaping his body, uh, buying into to Ray and Blue's, you know, new velocity training principles and stuff. And, I, you know, go out there and find me, text it to me, whatever. Like y'all said earlier, a better outside linebacker duo than those two in college football because I haven't seen it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're you know, the, the tandem – you know, Chris really came into his own last year coming off the injury, and then Will lived up to the hype. I mean, I know he got to a slow start with the sacks, but he was a tremendous player, very disruptive. And the thing that stood out about him is he played every down hard, played the run just about as well as he did the pass. And so I'm anxious to see, you know, what Coach Sal has done with him and what he's added to his repertoire. Now that he's even more comfortable within the scheme, uh, there's no doubt about it. And the only thing that's been kind of unfortunate is another injury to LeBron Ray. Uh, he's just been snake bitten in his career. He uh, had a good summer, from what I understand. It was looking good. I thought it was significant that he and Kendall Randolph were next to Nick Saban in the team photo. Uh, and he's an NFL player if he's healthy. But, uh, you know, the problem is, is that he uh, just recently he tore, uh, you know, a groin muscle, had surgery. He's going to be out for two or three weeks. But the one thing we do know is there's a lot of depth along this defensive line. Uh, and I think it's allowed Tim Smith to maybe – get some reps outside at end as well. Uh, he's a very disruptive player. Uh, and then we haven't seen Braylon Ingraham, but I think Ingraham was more of a guy that was going to be a depth, uh, a luxury, and then someone that was probably going to be maybe with the threes at times because you've still got Justin Aboigby, who's been very uh, system sound in the way he has played. Uh, and you've got, uh, you know, as we said, Tim Smith, DJ Dale. Hopefully Dale is going to be a year better uh, with the way, you know, because he's had some unfortunate knee injuries as well that I think have slowed him down. And then Fedarian Mathis. Mathis was one of them held out, but William, he was one of the most improved players on the team a year ago and has really gone from a guy that you thought was probably going to be a depth guy uh, to someone who's going to be a uh, playing on Sundays in another year. Yeah, you know, I, I thought his trajectory in 2020 – almost mirrored i mean if you ever want to see somebody that's at the top of their craft and and just almost like watching a uh, a damn cat toy with a mouse <laughs> um go turn that ohio state tape on and watch what christian barmore was doing to ohio state's offensive line and the reason i'm saying that is i thought the way barmore flashed in 19 was very similar to the way Mathis flashed last year. They're two different players. I mean, Mathis isn't quite as twitchy as Barmore is, but, um, and, and there again, um, that's a very dangerous place for LeBron Ray to find himself in, uh, you know, opening the door for another guy that I, that has the chance to, to be a really outstanding player. And I'm talking about first round draft potential in Tim Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with, with LeBron Ray's medical jacket, nobody's taking him in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I mean, if you open that Pandora's box, does, does Tim Smith ever give that starting spot 
you know, in the base back to LeBron Ray. I, I wouldn't bet against it. Um, so, you know, and, and there's another guy that, that really hasn't been talked about much so far this fall. I don't know if he's hurt, um, but, you know, they got Byron Young. Um, yeah. You know, is another guy that I think's you know, proven to be a, a pretty solid, reliable, you know, player week in and week out. Um, and, and, again, I mean, we haven't seen anything of, you know, the former five-star, you know, defensive tackle from Michigan, Damon Payne. Um, so, you know, there's just guys that, that, you know, are still scratching the surface of their ability on, on that defensive side of the football. You know, does, does anybody – I mean, th- this is what I thought was insane to me about Will Anderson last year. In one season in Tuscaloosa, Will Anderson has put up more quarterback hurries and more sacks than the former number one player in the country from IMG three years ago, who's now at Georgia, Nolan Smith has put together in three seasons. That's that's just how crazy good Will Anderson is. Um, That's crazy, man. That's that's stunning. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm excited to see how much of a, you know, a difference year one versus year two makes in a, you know, ridiculously talented backup outside linebacker in Drew Sanders. Yeah, I I really was impressed with what I saw from him, too. And I think it's interesting that King Makuta put his name in the portal, but then came back and has had a good fall camp so far. They're so loaded on the outside. I mean, you've got guys like Quandarius Robinson, who's a very talented player from Jackson Owen in Birmingham. He's with the threes, uh, you know, and, and in some ways, so is Chris Braswell, even though he's a definite candidate to be a rabbit rusher. And then, you know, with the fours, you got Dallas Turner and Keanu Coot, who really are both five-star level talents. It's disgusting depth. I mean, if you're an Alabama <laughs> fan, you just got to enjoy it. And you got to laugh at Kirby Freeze. I mean, smart, uh, because he's not a very good evaluator. They can talk about what kind of recruiter he is, but, Anybody who is an Alabama fan who who knows what they're talking about and who followed Kirby Smart's career knows he was a good defensive coordinator at Alabama, but as a recruiter, as an evaluator, he was not very good, okay? And so that just goes to show you at Georgia, they're still talented, don't get me wrong, but it, he, he is not the evaluator Nick Saban is, and that's why his roster is not as good, and he can't manage the roster, and that's why Right now, Arik Gilbert is not even with the team and is, uh, you know, uh, right and has had all kind of issues since he joined the Georgia program, the same ones he had at LSU. So, again, not very smart on Kirby's part, but yeah, that's why, in my opinion, it's going to be – I don't think he'll ever win a national championship. I may be wrong, but I don't think he's going to. I think he'll, he'll fuck it up. I'll just use the F word here on the podcast every year. I mean, he's he, he, he screwed up the quarterback room royally last year. I mean, just totally butchered it. And I have faith in him. He'll screw something else up, too. So, I mean, Drew, I, 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 Drew, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I even you know was telling some friends of mine a while back, you know, if he ever does figure out a way to, you know, level the, the playing field on, on the roster, you know, his roster being as talented as, as Nick Saban's roster. Well, he's never going to do that by assuming somebody that's obviously got, you know, three and done NFL talent in his own state, like Will Anderson, and him not thinking he was good enough for a scholarship offer. But yeah. 
if he ever does pull it off, we all can count on him always at least once a year going into fourth and Kirby mode and screwing the game up. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's what I think, and, and you know, and and so you know, we'll see. But also, you know, uh, just to go back to the scrimmage and then to come back offensively, we've kind of buried the lead a little bit. But it does sound like you know Bryce Young was really good again. He did throw a pick, but he threw three touchdowns, so he was very solid. Uh, and then one of the one of the things that impressed me because William, we know. Look, they've lost four first-round draft picks in the last two years at wide receiver. We understand there's going to be a different style of receiver on the team this year. Not sure right now there's four first-round picks, but I do think it's still a very talented room. And one of the things that I was hearing yesterday, and he did catch a touchdown, is that a guy that wasn't here in the spring, we didn't get a chance to see, but JoJo Earl seems to be uh, you know, asserting himself in the slot. I know they still like Slade Bolden, but it looks like JoJo's talent is going to be inevitably good enough to get him on the field this year. Uh, and it also sounds like, too, and from the highlights, I'm sure you saw them as well, Javon Baker made another sick catch one-handed. I asked, I was able to ask John Mechie this, who now is the unquestioned leader of that room, who the breakout guy was going to be this year in his mind. Last year, everybody was hearing Mechie, and it ended up being true. Mechie ended up being the breakout guy. He thinks it will be Javon Baker, uh, but it sounds like uh, Cameron Latu was really good again as well. So there's some guys stepping up into new roles offensively. I was going to say, I can come up with three or four of those wide receivers that I think have a chance of being first-round draft picks. Um, and, and, you know, there again, um, if you come out of the spring game and, and you're absolutely blown away by, you know, Hall, the wide receiver, and, and understandably so based on what you saw in that game, um, you know, I think he's going to be a force. I, I love hearing that, you know, Nick is getting JoJo Earl involved, not only at wide receiver, but in the special teams return part of the game. Um, but I, I don't know. If I can go along with Javon Baker being the breakout guy wide receiver, maybe John Mechie's right and I'm wrong, uh, but I can think of a couple other guys, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, that, that might end up being that as well. There again, that's another, you know, position group that maybe they're not proven commodities like we're used to seeing, but there's an awful lot of talent hanging out in that wide receiver room. Yeah, there is no doubt about it. And, Latu, again, he and – well, and Jaleel Billings, he's going to have to – you know, he had some COVID-related concerns. So yeah, I think he was recently vaccinated. He's going to have to work can, his way. Can we, can, we, can we put that to rest? I mean, honestly, I think we're all intelligent enough to know if you had COVID, you're not going to be running scout team and forced to work at the back of the line. He did something besides the COVID. Oh, yeah, it was – I think he was late getting vaccinated, and I think, you know, he had some issues maturity-wise. I mean, if you followed Billingsley's career, it's not a surprise. I mean, because let's understand something, and we're all proud of him, and he had a really good career at Alabama, and it was amazing watching him catch a touchdown pass with the Tennessee Titans. But Jaleel Billingsley's more talented than Miller Forrestall. But Jaleel Billingsley wouldn't do the little things to play that Miller Forrestall did. So that's why Miller Forrestall played more than Jaleel Billingsley. Because Jaleel Billingsley's the more talented player. 
Uh, you know, but we hope the strides that he made last year when he stepped up when Waddle was hurt uh, will continue this year. He's got a chance to work his way back up the depth chart, and he and, you know, Watu can be a great combination. But again, yes, it, maturity issues have plagued Jaleel Billingsley, and hopefully he'll get, you know, himself going this year. He, and and there's, got a chance there's, to another, yeah. there's another room that I re- I'm really starting to be attracted to, because I'm going to tell you what, the one of the true freshmen, I mean, I'll be totally honest with y'all, the, the two newcomers that I've heard the most about, yeah. and it's been consistent since March, is the wide receiver Hall and the quarterback Milrow. Right. Um, that, that's It's been consistent nonstop ever since they showed up. But I'm going to tell you, the old, old school throwback guy, um, that I saw out there in the spring that I got excited about is, is H-back tight end Robbie Outs, or however you pronounce his last yeah, name. Yeah, Rob, Robbie Outs. Yeah, he reminded me of your former yeah. teammate, Patrick Hayes. I mean, I really like seeing him out there in that A-Day game. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what, what, whatever contribution, um, you know, he can make this fall. But there again, I mean, with with, you know, and I get it about Billingsley. He's, he's probably got some, you know, some Christian Barmore in him and tries to do it his way too often. But, uh, I mean, Latu um, is, is a nice addition to this 2021 offense and gives, um, you know, I, I think Stephen Thomas brought this up earlier. Do I expect this offense to go out there and score, score 48 or 50 points every week? Absolutely not. Um, but I'll tell you this much. If they can throw up 21 points on this Alabama defense, they might score 40 to 45 on everybody they play. Yeah, I mean, I still think they're going to be explosive. And then, you know, JoJo Earl had an eight-yard touchdown catch, Latu 13 yards, Trey Sanders a 20-yarder in two minutes, uh, but in Tyu Jones-Bell a 60-yarder from Paul Tyson. But, and, but William, I got to say, too, it's been a remarkable recovery for Trey Sanders. Uh, he did not do anything in the spring, and he was in the car accident after his uh, best game of his career against Mississippi State last year. And it really looked like that he might be lost for the season, having to rehab and get back from his injuries. But uh, a total credit to Larry Lemack, James Andrews, you know Jeff Allen, and Fat Ray, and and David Balu, because it's a, it's pretty remarkable that this young man is back and has really been. Uh, full bore for most of the summer and is now practicing with no limitations and is going to contribute this year because honestly I had uh, after the spring and I didn't see much of him he wasn't in the plans I thought that this has been a remarkable recovery no I totally agree and and you know whatever happens to him you know from this point forward um is going to be a blessing both for himself and the team but like you said, man, just because, you know, he's out there getting reps with the first-team offense um, is phenomenal. Um, I mean, only at Alabama uh, could the, the number one running back in the country, I think somebody had him number one. Um, you know, what is Cameron Wheaton right now, fourth or fifth team? Yeah. Um, now, he may not be there once they play Miami, but, you know, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow, swallow for somebody like that. You know, it's probably the same way for, you know, Tommy Brockenheimer. Um, 
But, you know, this, this team, and, and, you know, I don't understand there's, you know, and I think Alabama fans let opposing fan bases put this kind of stuff in their minds. But, you know, th- there is nothing in Bill O'Brien's resume that even makes me nervous or, or have anxiety about how he's going to be the Alabama offensive coordinator. I mean, to be honest with you, um, I mean, I guess you could put, you know, Dayball in there. But, I mean, when you start talking about the off-the-field issues that Lane Kiffin had and Steve Car- Steve Sarkeesian continues to have, um, you know, outside of, of maybe making a, you know, a leap of, of trying to be more of a GM versus a head coach when he was with the Texans, I mean, I thought the guy did a phenomenal job cleaning up that mess in, in uh, Happy Valley. Um you know, I, I, I like what he did um, with Deshaun Watson offensively at, at, at Houston. I mean, I think the guys a lot like Sarkeesian and Kiffin. I mean, you know, I think he kind of started off as a, you know, old school, eye formation, pro style offense guy. And because of the changes in the game, um, you know, I like the fact that he's got that experience, uh, you know, of working with Watson at Houston. It's, you know, because he's got two out of the three you know, top quarterbacks at Alabama on the depth chart right now are, are basically identical players from, you know, being a dual threat type of a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I love Bill O'Brien. I mean, he was on my short list a few years ago to be the, the replacement for Nick Saban, and if he does a remarkable job as coordinator, he'll be back on it now that he's uh, away from the NFL. Uh, I think he's going to do a great job. I don't expect any drop-off, I'll be honest with you. As much as I love Sark, and I thought he did an outstanding job, he's probably my favorite OC, but I'm anxious to see what Bill O'Brien can do. And again, he doesn't have some of the baggage, as you mentioned, uh, that we've seen from Steve Sarkeesian and, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin. So anxious to see that. I I love the synergy he and Doug Marone have, uh, the experience. It's crazy that their wives were college, you know, roommates and were that close. And now they're, of course, uh, you know, married to – to Bill O'Brien and, and Doug Marone. So it's just been really interesting. They go back a long ways to Georgia Tech. So the same kind of synergy that Kyle Flood and uh, and Steve Sarkeesian had will be had by Doug Marone and, and of course, uh, Bill O'Brien. And yet they were at, uh, doing it at the NFL level also, uh, much like Sark and Kyle Flood, except for they did it as head coaches. So I think they're, you know, definite uh, big-time additions. And then, uh, as I know we're wrapping it up here, last few minutes, but uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the special teams. Ever since J.K. Scott left, it's kind of been uh, uh, something where you have to catch the throw up in your mouth uh, when you watch Alabama punt at times. But it looks <laughs> like they may have solved that. I, I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself, especially when we want to see it done in a real game. But it sounds like Alabama joining the Australian Revolution, as LSU and others have, may be paying off already. As the words seem to be, William, that James Burnup, the uh, punter from Australia, did a really nice job. Yeah, and I wanted to say one more thing for sure. you know, anybody that listens to this. If you didn't get a chance, and I think it was last Saturday or last Sunday, because I know I heard it on my way into work Monday, if you didn't get a chance to listen to Bill O'Brien's interview from last weekend, do yourself a favor yeah. and check it out. I mean, everything was about the program, about Coach Saban, about the players. 
absolutely nothing about Bill O'Brien. I mean, it was almost like the guy was too uncomfortable to talk about himself. But I really appreciated the way it's about the players and it's about the coaching staff and it's about Coach Saban and it's about the culture and the program. And, man, he sounded like a polished politician in that interview. And it just, you know, got my my juices flowing a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean – that happens, I guess, Drew. I mean, we're going to go through the same thing probably when Will Reichard runs out of eligibility in another year or two. Um, we we went through some some doldrums at the, the punter position after J.K. got gone, and uh, I, I mean, the only experience I have of you know watching a rugby rules punter is when we play other teams because. Alabama, this will be the first one that they've ever had, to my knowledge. But uh, looking forward to seeing him do it. You know, it's uh, – it, you're right, it has been kind of a shit show ever since J.K. Scott graduated. Yeah, it really has. But uh, it's, hopefully this is going to be a step in the right direction. And, Thomas, I know we're, we're wrapping it up here and winding it down, but what are some of your final thoughts as uh, we've talked about scrimmage one? Uh, it seemed like there was bright moments on both sides of the ball. Uh, it just seemed to be that the first-team defense controlled it, though uh, some of the offensive absences could have had something to do with that. But what are your, uh, your some of your final thoughts as we have uh, reached the end of uh, the scrimmage one and then we're going to start uh, you know, building anticipation towards scrimmage two coming up this next Saturday? So to, to comment on the Bill O'Brien, uh, for lack of a better phrase, situation, Bill O'Brien, the GM, is god-awful. Bill O'Brien, the coordinator or head coach, has proven himself at a very high level. Now, my final thought is going to be this. We are 20 days from Alabama versus Miami. And I, when, I, when I evaluate a football team, I look at the problems that have potentially the weirdest solutions. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we spent the past you know, half hour-ish talking about, well, do we know about the offensive line? Well, no, we don't really know about the offensive line. We know we have two positions, and the other three look pretty good. We're not sure. Remains to be seen. That's okay. We talked about Bryce Young. We talked about the defense. You know, there are some holes there. There's no doubt about that. And there are parts of the Alabama football team that have to prove themselves. But 20 days away from the start of the season, the thing that – probably has the biggest question mark is who's going to punt the football. There are 110, 115 teams in college football. Hell, you could make it probably 140 teams if you add the pros. That would absolutely kill to be in the spot where the biggest question mark going into the season that might not have a solution is the punter. Because I can say with a straight face – the ingredients are there for this Alabama football team to make another run to the college football playoff, there to potentially yep. repeat. I don't know. There's, there's a long way to go. Injuries happen. A lot of football to be played, so I'm not going to say, oh, Alabama's going to run away with the national championship. But the thing that is most concerning is not offensive line or defensive line. It's punter. That's a really good spot to be. And I'm really looking forward, because I get to go to this next scrimmage. I'm looking forward to seeing the team live and in living color, Drew. 
Yeah, I think we all are looking forward to that. Yes, we're going to have our scrimmage thoughts coming out of next week, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, we're going to have a lot more buzz and a lot more material to talk about. Uh, certainly, there was enough buzz coming out of this one to whet the appetite, but the second scrimmage, which, you know, we could see those starters that were out, uh, you know, and, 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 and not taking a part in it, not participating, get some time because, again, they're trying to have these jobs won, even though we strongly believe Chris Owens, you know, Federian Mathis, I mean, they're starters, but we'd like to see them playing as a, as, a, as a unit. So we'll definitely be keeping our eye on that. And, of course, LeBron Ray and his injury situation. If we're going to see Braylon Ingraham, we haven't seen him. I don't think he's been seen out at practice as well. So we'll see. But certainly looking forward to all that, looking forward to uh, continuing to monitor recruiting. Alabama could be getting some good news tomorrow. Jake Pope from Buford, Georgia, outstanding safety, said to be committing. I think Alabama is the heavy favorite. So we'll probably talk a little bit more recruiting next week. We really just wanted to delve into the team this week and what we were hearing. And, of course, the additions of Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. And so we hope you've enjoyed our first edition of BAMS Radio in this new year, this new football season. And we'll be coming to you just about every Sunday now going forward. And uh, we've been having a lot of people ask us when it was going to return. So we look forward to being with you each and every week. And for Thomas the Wizard Watts and for William Redfish Barger, this is going to conclude our first edition of BAMS Radio, but many more to come. Good night, everybody, and roll tide. We'll talk to you next week.